Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast which brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into everything you're talking about in football. I mean, McGarry, and with me as always is the guru, Mr. Duncan Dr. Castles. And uh, today we will be focusing on Spurs um, for some of the pod. Uh, Josie Mourinho, what's gone wrong for the uh, Portuguese maestro? Um, and is it actually going to be the case that he will be replaced um, sooner rather than later? As well as news uh, on moves at Arsenal. Paris Saint-Germain, also Brighton, uh, Juventus and AC Milan. Duncan, we're going to start with um, the fact that Spurs have now lost five of their last six matches, leading to speculation about Jose Mourinho's future at the club. It's not just about um, those five defeats. It's also about the style of play. It's about uh, issues with body language of the players, stories from the dressing room of discontent uh, and malcontent even, uh, as well as um, news surfacing. And of course, here at the transfer window, we bring you that news first of other coaches being sounded out with regards to potentially replacing Mourinho um, at Tottenham Hotspur. Um, I, I guess it it's um, difficult in the sense, Duncan, for Mourinho. Um, anyone who saw his post-match interview um, at the weekend where he um, he said that he and his coaching staff, their work and their techniques were second to none in world football and the problem did not lie with the coaches. I was reminded personally um, of being at Wembley Stadium, the old Wembley Stadium, before they knocked it down when England lost to Germany. Um, uh, The Didi Haman free kick in uh, the European Championship qualifiers and Kevin Keegan resigned in the toilet of the dressing room, came into the press conference and announcing his resignation. And this is bizarre as well, as you know as much as I do. Um, We're normally the ones who have to ask the question, will you resign? Keegan simply came in and told us, <laughs> I've resigned. I just told David Davis in the toilet. Um, and uh, he said there were things going on on the pitch, I with his own team, problems I could not solve. Mourinho said the opposite. He said, these problems are not mine to resolve. Our method is the best in the world. these are problems that the club needs to address. Now, if there's anything going to wind up Daniel Levy, that is it. Yeah, you you remind me of uh, the 2010 World Cup when um, I was asked uh, to to ask Fabio Capello whether he was going to resign after England's exit from that tournament and uh, I think put the question to him a couple of times in the same press conference as he uh, as he didn't do what Kevin Keegan had did but I, I don't looking at those post-match interviews I don't think the one about this coaching staff that statement about the coaching staff was the the more important one because I think he was he was asked whether he ever questioned his own methods and was quite curt in his response and said, no, not at all, not at all, zero. And then was was pursued on that question as to why. And and that's when he came up with the, the comment about the consequence, results of the consequence of multi-situations in football. And mine and my coaching staff's methods are second to nobody in the world. And he, you know, he was trying to get away from that. I agree with you. The statement that was, I think, more dangerous and and I think one I have never heard Mourinho 
come up with in his 20 years of, of management is that there were problems with the team that he could not resolve. My myself as a coach, I cannot resolve and no coach can. Um, that is a very powerful statement. That is, I, I, I don't get, Duncan, why no one pursued him on that. Because I think you and I, as journalists, would have absolutely cottoned on to that straight away and said, okay, give us details. Why is a coach can you resolve this? Yeah, look, we're we're talking about COVID times, and that it's an odd way of of questioning. People aren't all together in a room, um, so you know you do you do think do see questions like that missed. I think it's more important what he said, and I'm sure he will be pursued on it in his next press conference before Europa League game. I mean, you said um, five defeats in the last six. It's actually worse than that. It's six defeats in the last seven domestic games. Liverpool, Brighton, Chelsea, Everton in the Cup, um, Manchester City and West Ham United. Um, In that is a run of three straight Premier League defeats, which is the Tottenham's worst run in nine years. Um, Mourinho himself said that the position in the table is effectively unacceptable, saying that the, the potential of the team is higher and, the, and there's frustration over that and we should be in a much better position. Um, where does it stand in terms of what Tottenham do next? Well, I can tell you that my information is that Julian Nagelsmann, who is a, was a candidate to replace Maurizio Pochettino before Mourinho was hired um, and is admired by Tottenham's board. I can tell you he has been offered to Tottenham um, as a replacement for Mourinho. Uh, I understand for the summer, not mid-season, Nagelsmann would not want to leave Leipzig while he's still um, in the Champions League and in a position of uh, relative success in the in the Bundesliga. Um, and that obviously is is going to be a very tempting proposition for Daniel Levy. Um, Nagelsmann has got himself into a situation where he's regarded as pretty much where Mourinho was um, at the, his time at Porto as being the uh, the up-and-coming manager, the, 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 the man that clubs should be looking to employ. He tells a story himself how um, one of... Real Madrid's senior directors called him in 2018 while he was still at Hoffenheim to ask him whether he'd be interested in the Madrid job at that point. And um, I think in his telling of that story, it's quite interesting that he talks about cutting that conversation down because he felt it would be a mistake to go there at that time, that he wasn't ready to manage Madrid, that he didn't have the language skills to manage Madrid and that language is very important um, to his managerial style and that uh, that building a career was a step-by-step process. Now, if you take him at his word on that and you look at some of his recent activity, which has been to give interviews to English newspapers. In fact, he gave a, a set-piece interview to Jason Burt in the Daily Telegraph um, last week and was asked about his interest in coaching in the Premier League and um, did the you know diplomatic thing and cited his, his contract at Leipzig, which has another two years to run after the end of this season, but then said the Premier League is a very interesting league and I can imagine it could be a big aim to be a big manager in the Premier League one day like Jürgen, who is very successful. It could be a step in the future. So that's, you know, that's the, the, the comment which will um, be noted by those in charge of English clubs. And if you're looking at a step-by-step career development, rather than going to one of the, the absolute elite clubs in European football, perhaps Tottenham makes a lot of sense. He certainly has the language skills to coach in England. He conducts these interviews um, in English when he and he's done more than one with English papers in the last couple of years. Um, he, in the last 12 months, has knocked out both Tottenham um, with Mourinho in charge and Manchester United from the Champions League. 
Um, his status is very high, although he has never won a trophy um, in his managerial career now in his sixth season. Um, second season at Leipzig, Hoffenheim, he took them to fourth and third in the Bundesliga. Leipzig third, they're currently second in the Bundesliga. There was a period last season where it looked like they might take the title from Bayern Munich, but they, they fell away. Um, but he has been rewarded with a coach of the year um, tr- title in Germany um, by his peers. So there is a lot of talent there. And I think that is a a temptation, will be a temptation to Tottenham and something that puts Mourinho in a precarious position that that, a coach of that quality is being offered to uh, the club. What's Mourinho's stance on this? Well, he feels that recruitment was poor in the summer in the sense that he wanted a centre-back and and his feeling of of the problems the team has, basically what I think he was referring to in that statement of of problems that a coach and no coach could solve, is that a lack of pace in the defence, which has forced them to move uh, to a deep block in a lot of games. Um, I don't think he's done that in the more recent games. I think uh, in uh, in the game at the weekend against West Ham, for example, they played quite aggressively uh, and and created a lot of chances. But he went into the season playing quite attacking football. They went 3-0 up against West Ham United. They drew 3-3. After that game, he changed the defence. He played much deeper. He has moved various guys in and out at centre-back, usually played Eric Dyer, who in my view is um, a defender who, although extremely committed and a a great character, has a mistake in him just about every game. And a lot of those mistakes have cost Tottenham. I think there's a statistic that that Tottenham have conceded more goals in the Premier League this season through defensive Um, errors than any other team so when Mourinho complains about his team making mistakes he's not being inaccurate in it and he hasn't been able to find the solution Um, I'm told that he would much rather have had the money that went into bringing Gareth Bale to to Tottenham um, on loan from Real Madrid spent on a centre-back. You'll remember that, um, that Tottenham's head of recruitment was photographed in Milan in conversations with uh, Internazionale centre-back uh, Milan Skriniar's agent, that would have been a deal that Mourinho would have been happy with and that would be the type of player that he would like to have brought into the defence to, to to give himself more tactical options, be, be happier playing higher up the pitch. The deal didn't happen. They go for Bale instead. But I think there's also a perception that Tottenham invested quite heavily in the last window, surprisingly heavily in the last window um, because Bale came in, because um, Regulon came from Madrid on what was what's effectively a, a two-year loan deal in the sense that um, Madrid can take him back at a set uh, uh, buyback price in, in two years' time. If you actually look at the gross spend over the summer, um, you will see that they were outspent by Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal, and Aston Villa, Leeds United and Wolves. So Mourinho's case is that he was brought into the club on a on a premise that he would improve it and be given money to uh, rebuild the squad and compete for the Premier League. That was that was the vision that uh, that Daniel Levy sold to him. Then COVID happened, that was stripped away, and um, part of what happened in the summer was recruitment was focused on areas of the team which wouldn't have been the areas that Mourinho would have preferred to be focused on and you know saying that bringing Gareth Bale in when Tottenham have the kind of uh, a variety of attacking uh, players in the same position as Bale plays saying that that wasn't the most sensible way to allocate your resources I don't think is a hard argument to make but you place yourself in a difficult position with a chairman and a powerful chief executive at a club like Daniel Levy when you start effectively publicly questioning his decisions on how the the team is being directed. So 
Two things then uh, in response uh, to what you've just said, Duncan. Uh, first of all, is there information here at the transfer window that um, alongside Nagelsmann, who you have um, uh, detailed with regards to Tottenham's interest, that also Brendan Rodgers has been contacted by a third party, and we must stress a third party who, to our knowledge, is not been mandated by Tottenham Hotspur officially to offer uh, a job to him uh, to replace Jose Mourinho. But certainly there is interest uh, which is quite uh, intense in terms of uh, the uh, growing reputation and also the job that he is doing at Leicester City um, as manager there to come into Tottenham Hotspur potentially in the summer. And but, I think importantly, Ian, Brendan Rodgers is, a, is someone that Levy has tried to hire in the past. So if you look, I've said Nagelsmann was a candidate to replace Pochettino. Um, Mourinho was a candidate to come into Tottenham on multiple occasions early in his career and Levy eventually hired him. So that the fact that, um, that people are trying to set up um, Brendan Rodgers as a candidate, knowing that Levy has liked him for a long time, I think is is not surprising at all. No, no, that's not certainly surprising. Um, and obviously Leicester's and Rodgers' growing reputation in the Premier League taking on the established elite clubs uh, of the top four stroke six um, is one which is growing week in, week out, um, given Leicester's performances um, and their continuity and consistency. Obviously, last year they narrowly missed out on Champions League football for this season um, with a kind of late season lull in terms of results. But they seem to be building quite strongly uh, this season instead. Uh, my second uh, question, Duncan, I have to be, as I always like to say, uh, Satan's QC <laughs> rather than devil's advocate and say, um, if Josie Mourinho says uh, these are problems a coach cannot solve, then exactly what is his job? if it's not to solve these problems um, as a coach with an elite group of players who are clearly some of the best in European, if not world football, surely it is his job to do that. So to say, oh, I cannot solve these problems because no coach could. Mm, and I'm thinking, well, really? You know, isn't it your job to be, you know, on that 24-7? Well, he's he's certainly putting the temptation out to Daniel Levy to decide to test that statement of his and uh, and bring another coach in and see if that coach can solve those problems. Um, look, there's an argument that Tottenham have been in decline in terms of that group of players for a couple of seasons now. Um, if you look at their the record. Um, since 2015-16 when they had a chance to win the title. Um, really, they should have taken that title rather than Leicester City, um, but fell away at the end and ended up with 70 points. 16-17, they had 86 points in the Premier League, finished second, 17-18, third, 76 points. And then you've got the 2018-19 season, which people kind of talk about as being the, the, the high point of this Tottenham squad because they reached the Champions League final. Um, but if you go back and look at that season, they finished fourth in the Premier League that year. They went down to 71 points. And that Champions League run, while an incredible roller coaster, incredibly entertaining, they almost went out in every single uh, stage of the... They, they were last minute survivors in the in the group stage, uh, comeback after comeback in the, the knockout stages and, and were outplayed by Ajax in the semi-final and score essentially with the last kick of the game in a, in a way that Ajax couldn't recover from. So 
there is an argument that the team needed changing then and it's certainly an argument that Maurizio Pochettino made at the time before the final we, we, I think we forget that Pochettino was kind of in conflict with Levy over recruitment and, and saying that the, the, the squad needed radical change and new energy brought into it and and he did um, was making the same arguments in the 2019-20 season when he was sacked um, with Tottenham 14th with 14 points from 12 games um, so Tottenham I don't think are the force that they have been and there is quite significant change that needs to be made there but saying that you that no coach can resolve the problems is a bold statement. I think he might need to qualify that and say no coach could make them title winners or no coach could qualify this team um, for the Champions League on a regular basis um, rather than saying it, it cannot be resolved at all. There are complaints coming from the Tottenham dressing room um, which is not surprising in a situation like this and not surprising when certain players have been uh, sidelined, for example, Deli Ali, um, for long periods this season. And they are familiar complaints that, uh, that Mourinho is, is too focused on defensive matters, is too focused on countering the way the opposition plays um, rather than working on ways to defeat the opposition. And I think that is understandable given the pattern, the history that I, I talked about earlier of the of the, the th being 3-0 up against West Ham, going to 3-3, changing to a more defensive style, um, getting results, very important results with that defensive style and in, in, in beating, for example, Manchester City. Um, and then not uh, being prepared to modify it quickly uh, once the results started to go the other way. It is a fact about Mourinho's coaching that he is conscious of the way other teams play. One of the strengths of his coaching has been to develop very detailed plans uh, specific to the opponents you play to stop them from succeeding on the pitch and to find ways of scoring against them. Um, if you talk to people who worked with him, they'll say that sometimes it can feel like he spends the majority of time telling the team how to avoid being scored against rather than telling the team how to score goals. And that provides ammunition for players who are unhappy, um, who are not performing, uh, to complain about the management and say we would do better under a different system and and I think that is an issue and a secondary issue that he will have to um, resolve and, and find a way around to get results going in the right direction again. Will he go during the season? Possibly. Will he go at the end of the season? I think that's more of a risk. I think um, with Nagelsmann in particular available um, and with the likelihood, uh, the self-expressed likelihood that they fail to qualify for the Champions League through league position, um, there is a chance that leave you with a lot of time to work on this starts to prepare a change of of management um, and uh, decides that the experiment of bringing Mourinho in to win trophies and to get them back seriously in the in Champions League competition is a failed one. He does, of course, have a chance to win the first trophy, um, I think, for 13 years for Tottenham. He's in the League Cup final. Um, <laughs> one of the questions at the moment is, does he actually get the chance to play that game because it's in April? You did say that it was a very challenging uh, statement to someone like Daniel Levy to say, you know, there's no coach in the world who can change what's going on here. Um, it reminded me a little bit of um, his statement, Duncan, uh, when he was at Chelsea uh, the first time when in the January transfer window when the club were involved in a 
uh, transfer bid for Tal Ben Haim uh, when he said, if you buy your eggs at Waitrose, you'll get a nice omelette. But if you buy them at a cheaper uh, supermarket, then you're not going to get necessarily as good an omelette as the one that you get elsewhere. Um, so he does have a little bit of history, although that was much more subtle in terms of its analogy than coming straight out and saying, um, I can't coach these players to be better than they are because, quite simply, um, that is not my problem um, because I'm doing everything I can, but they're not doing everything they can. So there is a difference there um, with regards to uh, the uh, way in which he has addressed what he sees, obviously, as the major problem at Spurs. Uh, in terms of if he goes not well and before the end of the season, or in, as you said, it's a greater possibility that he goes in the summer and Spurs are already beginning to set that uh, up in terms of a replacement then. Okay, uh, we we get that. Um, still going to be a very expensive um, sacking for Spurs in terms of uh, what Josie's contract is. You didn't talk much about Brendan Rodgers. I know he's one of your favourite coaches in the world. Uh, <laughs> and you, um, you rate him very highly. Uh, would he be a good fit for Spurs before we move on to talk about Arsenal and PSG? You can see why he appeals to Daniel Levy and why he's thought about bringing him in before. Um, he's look at strong fundamentals as a coach and uh, and has a history of playing attractive football. I mean, I think Leicester are set up more as a as a counter attacking team, but they're a good team to watch. I think the question Brendan Rodgers would be asking himself is. To what extent Tottenham's a better club to be at at present than Leicester City? He took Leicester at a very good time with a, a very strong squad. They've got stronger since. You could argue that Leicester City have um, across the average of their squad, so not specific players. Obviously, Harry Kane would be a better player when fit than anything Um Leicester City have, but across the balance of the squad, you could argue that they have a, a more capable squad at present than Tottenham have. The other side of it, of course, is European Super League. Um, and Tottenham, Daniel Levy, are very involved in that European Super League process. They are being identified as one of the clubs that would come from England and be offered guaranteed entry to European Super League. You want to have a seat on on that bus when it happens. And and I think that would be a consideration for Rodgers if, if Tottenham were to act on this presentation from a third party um, that Rodgers could be available for the position. That would be a consideration of, um, is this my opportunity to get on board at Tottenham and be part of being situ when they move towards the European Super League because it's highly unlikely Leicester City um, get invited uh, onto that that platform um, and get in situ at a time where Levy has seen Maurizio Pochettino fail and had to be changed, seen who he thought was going to be the answer struggle and if it gets to that stage decide he has to be changed so maybe Levy's own expectations for the next manager will be reduced and it make it an easier um, place to come into for him I think just as a, as a final thing we should go back to a few of the things Mourinho said when he was appointed in November 2019 and a couple of times he talked about the vision Mr Levy as he called him sold him of the club um, he said, Mr. Levy's vision for a club, which he shared with me in a very, very specific way, that impressed me. But I, I wanted a club with a good level of players and a good level of the team. We have a very good squad with good young players coming. Um, and he also talked about the prince, basic principles of his management. He was asked whether 
to what extent he would change as a manager, having had time to reflect in the period after being dismissed by Manchester United. And he said, I have principles that I will keep for the rest of my career and I cannot change. One of those principles is I don't like to lose. I think that that principle of not liking to lose is really important here because he is setting the team up in a way to try and solve the defensive problems by playing deeper, um, to try and avoid defeat um, by playing safety first football in a lot of games. And that has contributed to him getting into this position where, again, um, his, his future at an English club is in doubt. So before any of you TWP jokers, and there's lots of you out there, we do love it when you send your um, facetious and often very funny comments to us on the social media channel says it. I'm going to say it for you first. If Mourinho is on that bus, which uh, is heading to the European Super League, yes, he'll be trying to park it. We will move on to the Arsenal right-back. And as many of you will recall, I'm very sure that you can, um, Duncan Castles is not called transfer guru and doctor Duncan Castles uh, for nothing. Because some 17, 18 months ago, he was the one who told us that Arsenal were effectively um, planning to sell Hector Bellerin within a year of um, the season ending 2019 to 2020. Now, COVID and the lockdown and the economic climate obviously changed that, but it is our information that Bellerin and his agent have told the club that he would like to leave this summer. And in doing so, um, Mikel Arteta, has decided, well, if the player is not going to be persuaded to stay, not only must we replace him, but we must make the best of the opportunity. The um, first and, um, at this moment in time, most likely suitors for the right back are Paris Saint-Germain. And in that being the case, uh, Arteta has looked at PSG's squad, uh, has told Edu, his sporting director, that um, given um, we are in a situation, obviously, whereby uh, it's more uh, economically viable and in a sporting sense to trade players rather than trying to extract a um, serious uh, transfer fee for someone like Bellerin, who two years ago would probably be worth 50, 60 million euros. Now, given the fact that Arsenal do not expect to get that amount of money for Bellerin, um, Arteta has asked Edu and his board um, to discuss the possibility of a potential swap deal for Julian Draxler, the German international creative midfielder. We know and we have reported on the Transfer Window podcast that uh, a creative midfielder is one of uh, the priorities for Arteta in terms of improving his squad. Duncan, you have reported widely on this already. Um, are you surprised that PSG is interested in Bellerin um, or could you see him going elsewhere? I think, uh, look, as you say, it's a, it's a player that Arsenal have, have set up as a potential sale. Um, I've been looking uh, to try and find other right backs um, to replace him in the, the medium term. Um, he would fit with Paris Saint-Germain's style of play. They look look um, for an attacking right back, which uh, which is what he's always been and the level he's getting back to after a serious knee injury. And I think it's important to, to talk about 
financial fair play here and this idea of rather than there's going to be very limited money for big transfer deals in the next market um clubs want to look after financial fair play numbers you can engineer a deal as for example Juventus and Barcelona did with um, Artur Melo and Pjanic in the last summer window where the player the two players are valued at high fees um, overly high fees and uh, you get a, a, a amortization benefit to your books which allows you um, a stronger financial position when it comes to the UEFA financial fair play test and to the French domestic test on um, on club finances so therefore you pick off someone in the PSG squad who is talented but has not been uh, used extensively and Julian Draxler obviously fits that picture. Um, Martin Udegaard of course is there at the moment signed on loan in the, the January window um, and there is a possibility that they will try and make that deal a permanent one but this is uh, an alternative solution for them um, and a bit of uh, sort of a, a, a careful way of doing it which allows them to work on other areas of the team because both Edu and Mikel Arteta feel that there is still a substantial amount of work needed to reshape that squad into a group of players that Arteta can get the best of and get back into the Champions League. And Duncan, you also, I understand, have information regarding a potential replacement for Bellerin, someone who has been extremely impressive since moving from Chelsea to Brighton a year ago in the uh, January window, um, not played so much in this particular calendar year because of a hamstring injury, but someone who probably does fit very much into the Arsenal way of uh, philosophy of playing. Yeah, uh, Tarek Lamptey um, at Brighton. And yes, if you're looking for an attacking right back, then Lamptey uh, is a fit um very good at getting up and down the park, creative with his ball use, lots of energy, and and a you know a strong one on one defender. Um, I think the issue is something we mentioned on the on the transfer window podcast before with Lamptey is if you play him in a back four, he's probably not as as clever a an answer defensively because his lack of height um, leaves him exposed on on that flank and as, as a target for opponents to use. I think he works best and works very well if you're playing with the back three and, and wing backs. Um, so that may be the consideration that Arsenal need to, to look at as to whether Lamptey is the perfect solution for them if they carry on playing with a back four as they have done for the majority of the season or perhaps Arteta's um, longer term goal is to switch to back three and and then Lamptey becomes I think an ideal um, replacement younger um, with uh, great potential um, value going forward because he, he should be an England international going forward. AC Milan's very talented Italian international goalkeeper Gianluigi Donnarumma uh, who is just 21, about to turn 22, is out of contract in the summer of this year, on June the 30th, and is available to speak to foreign clubs and indeed sign a pre-contract before then. His agent, um, our old friend, I uh, love saying that always, um, I'm not going to use Kaiser Duck's uh, phrase um, regarding pizza restaurants, but Mina Raiola has been marketing Donnarumma into uh, both English and the Spanish market. But also, um, Paulo Dybala, the Argentinian striker, stroke number 10, who um, has been a source of interest from several clubs in England, including both Manchester United and Manchester City, in the past 18 months, uh, has begun contract talks to extend his deal with Juventus, but with no guarantee uh, that any agreement will be reached. And then, of course, 
as in any negotiation, uh, Dybala and his agent, we use the interest from elsewhere to try and get a better deal for the player um, at his current club. But at the same time, um, again, with uh, Manchester City's uh, probably one of the most famous players and legends, um, Sergio Aguero, uh, coming to the end of his career, we've spoken about it in the podcast um, before, how does Pep Guardiola replace? Well, uh, Dybala is a classic um, example of a player who can play in a number nine or number 10 position as a false number nine should be required. And also a player who um, would be uh, potentially a very good fit for the Etihad club. Um, as far as Donnarumma is concerned, um, goalkeepers seem to be on vogue in terms of transfers. And the, certainly there is a case to argue that Donnarumma, both um, at the age he is, as I said, he turns 22 in the next three or four days, um, but also the experience he already has, um, make him a very, very interesting long-term investment to that key position um, for any club uh, going forward. Look, you've got you've got two players who are on very big wages at their current clubs and uh, have been the subject of, of uh, fairly extensive contract negotiations and offers elsewhere in the past. Donnarumma's one is more um, imminent. Uh, he is, as you say, out of contract in the summer. Um, Milan want to keep him, understandably, because of the the, the talent he is and the and the age he is, and um, Italian national team goalkeeper, and they're now competing for Serie A title again. Um, my understanding is that he's currently paid six million euros net um, as a result of Mino Raiola's. Um, ability to get the biggest slice out of Milan. Um, the last time Donnarumma's contract was um, up for discussion because he broke into... You couldn't resist, could you? You had to say slice. <laughs> well, you're you had to say slice of pizza. It was, there was no... There was no, nothing ever going to stop you from saying that. Oh, you, you keep falsely attributing the pizza man to Kaiser Duck when it was actually my line that he he stole subsequently. Oh, oh, so so, oh my apologies. Had that, that's why I had, had to get it back in. Oh. But um, Raul has played this game before because Donnarumma was on uh, a short contract when he broke into the team. He marketed him around the top clubs in Europe, uh, threatened to move him elsewhere, got lots of interest from those clubs and then got that um, immense salary for for a player who was then a teenager. Um, my information is that Raul is currently asking for 10 million net to renew at Milan. Um, Milan have offered an increase to 7.5 million and Raiola's position is well we might sign at 7.5 but we're only going to sign for two years not the full five years you would expect um, for a salary of that amount which would be the highest salary at the club um, at the same level as his other client there his other main client there is Latan Ibrahimovic um, I think uh, it's so, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Ten million, you say? <laughs> <laughs> Milan's a club that I always thought I should I should be at, and that is probably I think going to be the the resolution here because it's tough to see certainly Raiola securing ten million net for a, a goalkeeper in the English or Spanish markets at present. Yes. No transfer fee involved, but there will be a substantial commission involved. Um, and while it would be, you have the prospect of signing a goalkeeper you could have for over a decade as your, your first choice keeper, you have to deal with, you know, Raiola coming back for a new contract every three years if he's doing well. So um, my prediction, cautious prediction would be that he ends up staying at Milan um, because they end up paying the, the most money um, to Donnarumma and he stays in the country where he's national team goalkeeper. 
Dabala, Juventus have been prepared to sell him before. Um, we had that window in which Tottenham and, and Manchester United got involved in quite detailed talks uh, and thought they had a real chance of securing the player. And Dybala ultimately decided that he wanted to stay at Juventus rather than move to England. On this occasion, he is struggling for minutes. Um, he's only played one third of the minutes for Juventus and Serie A and Champions League this season. He's injured at the moment, got picked up a medial ligament injury last month. Um, he has one more year of contract after this one. Juventus have substantial financial difficulties to resolve. Um, and if they can't get him on the right terms for them, then you will see them uh, trying to market him and and, uh, and and perhaps involve him in one of those um, Artur Mello, Pjanic type deals that they did last summer. Um, I think you're right to note that Manchester City are in the market for a top level forward. Um, I think it, it's important to note that they are on this exceptional rung playing with false nine rather than a centre forward and that if you look at the best um, Guardiola team uh, and most successful Guardiola team at Barcelona they also played with a false nine so I think from Guardiola's perspective securing a player who could operate in that position would not be a bad idea and with Dybala you have you know, variation. You can play him as a number nine, you can play as a number 10, you can play as a, as a false nine. So I think he would be under consideration. And if I'm Dybala's representatives, I would be offering him to Manchester City, knowing that there aren't a great deal of really top options um, for clubs of Manchester City status on the market at present. Well, like most of you out there, I'd be quite happy playing a false 12 for uh, Barcelona, or indeed our both. Um, but that's not to be um, as far as my football career is concerned. If you have a different uh, experience, and please, as you know, get in touch with us uh, through the usual social media channels. This is the uh, first of our two podcasts this week on the transfer window, which means hero and villain has arrived. And I am intrigued to know who Duncan's hero is, as normally he likes to pick the villain. <laughs> hero this week, I think we have to reserve that for David Moyes, um, who now has West Ham United in a genuine Champions League qualifying position. Um, they are there with... Uh, 45 points from 25 games, Chelsea 43 points and none of the teams below them can match that points total. So he's actually got them into a Champions League spot um, with 13 games remaining, which is a remarkable achievement uh, given the quality of players he has had to work with. And I think you have to credit him for some very clever recruitment on limited resources. Uh, why particularly this week? Well, not on top of that, genuine Champions League qualification position he's got them into. He, for the first time in his managerial career, um, defeated Jose Mourinho. Um, after 16 attempts, he, he got that victory. So, um, hero of the week, the, the, uh, the highest placed Scottish manager in the Premier League, David Moyes. Well, not to blow my own trumpet, but as someone who has played against Jose Mourinho um, once and won, once, uh, you know, Moisey might be behind me in the hero status uh, with regards to um, his record uh, against the Portuguese special one. Um, he he my, might be behind him in his, uh, in his hero status, but he's definitely behind him in, in your recounting of the result, given that it was a 1-1 draw in which you scored that penalty. Um, which you ran first to grab the ball before anyone else could take the penalty, and we lost on penalty kicks. To, I did win the penalty to the to the to the Chelsea backroom staff. Um, have we told this story in the podcast before? It's Marine Jose Mourinho in goals um, for Chelsea uh, goes down with a hamstring injury. I think ninety seconds before the full time whistle, uh, hobbles off the field, um, moves as 
the replacement goalkeeper, his goalkeeping coach, Silvino Loro, into goal, knowing that there's going to be a penalty shootout. Um, Silvino Loro then, what did he save? Three of the, the five penalties, but certainly... Um, 63 caps for Portugal. And a European Cup final, if I remember correctly. <laughs> He's no fool. <laughs> right. Okay, Duncan, do you, want, do you want to make less of my achievement or not? You know, that's the question really here. Uh, I scored against Jose Mourinho in goal. His dad was a goalkeeper. He thought he was quite good. In actual fact, I beat him from the spot. 12 yards out. There you go, son. Take that one on the chin. It was 1-1. It's true. Um, forget the penalty share. That doesn't matter. Uh, okay, so... Did you, uh, take one just, th- did you take one in the shootout, Ian? Uh, and I scored, yes. Top corner, <laughs> left. Anyway, villain of the week um, is not me for um, scoring against Jose Mourinho in Duncan's analysis. It is indeed the person who we shall not reveal the name, although we may or may not know, um, who uh, changed Jack Grealish out of his fantasy football team, which was picked up by some clever social media bots um, and leapt upon by other people, which has resulted in a witch hunt at um, Aston Villa with regards to why um, uh, Brendan Rodgers and Leicester City knew that Grealish would not actually be playing against them on Sunday. Um, I'm not saying he's really a villain, um, except that, well, he's part of the... Villa staff, so that makes him a villain anyway. And um, let's just see um, how that one transpires. But given the fact as well, Duncan, that the whole Villa squad have now been banned from doing that on the basis that they might give away confidential team information, that is not really the outcome that anyone wanted. And indeed, um, we feel a bit sorry for those players. This has been uh, the Transfer Windows first podcast of the week and we hope that you have liked what you heard. Please leave a five-star review on iTunes. You can also subscribe to the Transfer Window podcast on YouTube. Turn on all notifications and you will get um, information when the next podcast drops. Please join the discussion with us there and also on social media channels, which is, of course, at Transfer Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and individually, uh, Duncan is on at Duncan Castles, and I am at Garbo SJ. Be safe, and thanks for listening. (laughs) 